0: From Arc to Microchip now proudly presents Circle of Love, The Soulful Journeys of Emanuel Swedenborg.
1: Taller than the others, this man walked among them at a distance, now and then calling the angels by their secret names. He would see that which earthly eyes do not see the fierce geometry, the crystal labyrinth of God, and the sordid millings of infernal delights. He knew that glory and hell, too, are in your soul with all their myths. He knew, like the Greek, that the days of time are eternity's mirrors. In dry Latin, he went on listing the unconditional last things.
2: In 1701, current era, just at the turn of the century, teen prodigy Immanuel Swedenborg was depressurizing, closing his eyes, focusing inwardly on a complex of near-Buddhistic imagery, system upon
0: system. His breathing almost at a standstill. His mind blossoming outward into new reaches of interplanetary cross-referencing. The young, scientifically
2: ecstatic Swede punk was scrambling time-space paradigms kilobyte by kilobyte.
0: Debugging Copernican space with spirit influxes.
2: And normalizing a reality base that included angelic and demonic screen dumps in a religio-Scandinavian 1880s century
0: matrix. Meanwhile, the dramatic sweep of his intellect ranging through the so-called hard sciences of his contemporaries was unmatched. Early on, the titles of the books he began writing typify the almost limitless reach of his researches.
2: A brief compendium of the scientific treatises of Immanuel Swedenborg.
0: Soils and
3: muds, 1716. 1716, sailing
4: upstream.
5: 1716, stereometry.
4: 1716, echo. Echo, echo. Causes of things, 1717.
5: 1717, tin work.
1: 1717, stoppage of the
2: earth. Salt Boileries 1717.
3: 1717. Instituting an observatory 1717. Fire and colors. Essence of nature 1718.
5: 1719. Earth Revolution
4: 1719. Height of water. Discovering mines 1719. 1719. Docks sluice, and salt works. Indications
3: of the deluge, 1721.
2: Conserving heat, 1722.
3: Working copper, 1722. 1722, the magnet. 1722, hydrostatics. 1722, the genuine treatment of metals. On Sulfur and Pyrites, 1724,
5: 1725,
3: On Salt, 1733, Motion of the Elements, 1738, The Infinite and the Finite, 1740, Muscles in General, The Brain, Four Volumes and a Volume of Accurate Drawings of the Cerebrum, 1740.
5: 1740, Corpuscular Philosophy or Speculations on Atomic Physics.
2: Declination of the Needle, 1740.
4: The Fiber, 1741. 1741, Red Blood. 1741, The Five Senses. 1741, Action.
3: The generative organs. 1743. 1744. Dreams, Five, six. Miss Forty One. Five, sixes. Five, sixes. Five sixes.
1: In Swedenborg's spare time, so to speak... He invented the fire extinguisher, designed a practical airship that several centuries later was actually constructed and successfully flown, and like a George Washington carver of technocracy, continued to come up with syntheses, data management theses, and adaptopositive ecologies that his society and century had not yet found a use for, but which served as a code conversion macro library for future science spirit splicers. To cite one volume alone, Swedenborg's hyper-rigorous four-book Treaties on the Brain, prefigures such up-to-the-minute somatropic innovations as auto-tracked body-mind integration and the pillar of our modern understanding of brain function, the neuron theory.
2: pocket-sized notebook bound in mammal skin with folds on each side was the repository of Swedenborg's next big move inward and upward. Completely unlike his pompous and verbose treatise on minds of the previous year and wreaking havoc on his current research into animal anatomy, the Journal of Dreams recounted a series of ecstasy-mulched mental images image and concept meshed. Tangible objects became symbols. His worst thoughts were represented as heaps of rags. The marching of soldiers past his window meant that he was to be protected from harm. In one dream, he overloaded a horse and it died. For Swedenborg, this meant that zoology was out and altered states were in.
6: It seems to me that buds have opened, green ones. I have feelings of indescribable delight. If they were of any higher degree, my whole body would be, as it were, dissolved in pure joy.
3: The day after, on April 6, 1744, he traveled to Delft, and experienced a spiritual climax of Biblical proportions. Why did God use the wind to collect locusts? Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart instead of working immediately? He heard a roaring noise as of many winds rushing together.
0: By the end of the month, he was back among his former associates and no one could perceive the slightest change in him, but inwardly, He was plunged into waking visions of glorious circles, representing infinite love. He
2: understood that a guardian spirit had been with him since childhood, and that all emotions were represented by women. Erotic elements were running rampant across Swedenborg's hallucinatory mindscape.
6: Such things to worldly view would be impure, but in themselves they are pure.
4: Emmanuel
3: immediately set to work, writing his own comprehensive cosmo-catalog of visionary jousts with angelic entities and the topology of infinity.
1: Written in an upbeat, racy new style that kept pace with the soul-stirring influx of sights and sounds from beyond the dark halo.
6: It seemed as if a pulsing skyrocket burst above me. Shedding masses of white-hot sparks of beautiful fire above me. It means, perhaps, love for what is high.
3: When it came to love, Swedenborg saw Adam and Eve as a perfect example.
6: She was left alone with her only one, and the sun was equidistant from its rising and setting. The bride led her bridegroom by the hand through her natal grove, and it was like the most pleasant theater of the orb. All things were in vernal flower and genial sport. No delay interposed until the bride also burned like a torch and declared herself favorable and pleased at the coming of the bridegroom. The vein of all delights inflowed into our heart, united but divided into two chambers. There it joined itself into a common stream, each part of which did not sweetly taste its own pleasure without at the same time tasting also that of the other.
5: By 1751, Emmanuel was deeply into gardening on the rocky island of Sodermom, where, with visionary care, he was cultivating a piece of land 336 by 156 feet into a virtual micro-Eden. Plush with crowned artichokes, mammoth lemons, Adonis roses, gilliflowers of three kinds with white ones scattered amid bleeding hearts sweet William, and a bed of orgone-fortified spinach. Swedenborg always maintained that he had inherited the garden from a previous owner, and that, of course, he did not always know what was going to come up. Just like Lily-Mad Marliac, the Swedish mystic also nurtured massive hothouse lilies in the upper story orangery of his 57-by-48-foot tide-washed Mom Biolab. Feverishly composing his angel-sent Cosmo Traveler's
2: Guide, Arcana Celestia, on the one hand, and conducting Blavatskian root race experiments with sweet peas, parsley roots, and beets on the other, Swedenborg was rapidly coming to the realization that, metaphysically speaking, a rose was not just a rose. It was angelic emotions having a go at corporeal encapsulation. It was the form and the substance of heaven itself passing through the roots and fibers of this vegetable earth. This heaven-earth one-to-one law of correspondences, opening in Emmanuel a looking-glass passageway through which infinity crept, was symbolically illustrated by a garden pavilion that Swedenborg erected in a grove of box trees, which he'd cut into figures of birds, boars, squirrels, and other Sodermom regulars.
4: When you open the door of Emanuel's mirrored pavilion, you face another door where a window seems to look into another garden. There, a green hedge is a backdrop for a lovingly polished high-rise birdcage. But surprise, the entire scene is only a reflection in a mirror, and you're looking in through the exit before you've entered, and you've departed before you've arrived.
0: But this is only the first riddle that the initiate must parse when entering the mystical linguistic talking book of Swedenborg's Orchard design. Now we must enter the labyrinth, which as one spectator writes, is entirely for the amusement of visitors, especially children and young women, whom the Swedish mystic seeks heavenly correspondence with.
4: Once you make your way through the maze, Swedenborg himself is there to greet you with a look of amusement and a closely printed biblical exegesis in Latin to explain everything you've been through.
2: possesses an anamorphic Pilsberian sentience that kneads the doughy loaves of the divine bread of potential faces into a spiritual logo rhythm bearing the unmistakable rudiments of a heavenly head. What Swedenborg might call civilization itself in the form of a benign theocracy where a life can be lived that resonates through privacy, as vast as the dark forest, is as cool as the bodies of children, as mellow as oboes can get, as green as fields get green, and as perverse, rich, and triumphant as the infinite expansion in infinite things, like amber or musk, Benjamin or lily, all chanting the Whitman-esque ecstasies of mind and sensorial servo links.
0: The hormone-drenched apocalyptic consciousness of 22-year-old young twerp-about-town, rabble-rousing book Billy Blake was definitely ready to be raised as the impressionable poet-in-training savored and sampled the wigged-out underground scenes happening in London, 1779. Young brash Billy, hanging out on street corners and composing radical song lyrics, was also one of the first to cop an early printing of the latest release by pop pundit Jay Duchesne, which Billy rudely acquired by pushing his way to the front of the line outside the local bibliotech. This new bestseller, Discourses, was a lavishly illustrated send-up of male and female angelhood, with every activity of the winged entities revealed with explicit Swedenborgian detail, and young Billy couldn't get enough of it. Hot to trot with the angelic host. Blake squeezed in during open house one night where Duchesne and his female flock were ensconced like hip royalty in a fusty old warehouse of a building called the Society for the Reception of Orphan Girls. When Duchesne began addressing the gathering, it soon became clear what everyone had come for. Billy had stumbled into the secret nest of England's first wave of Swedenborg counterculturalists surrounded by shapely, willing Swedenborgians, and carried aloft by the hypnotic voice of Duchesne as he spoke rapturously about the innermost nature of influx, Blake had a breakthrough. He knew that from that moment on, he had a big future in angelhood and purposely detailed apocalyptic macro-coding.
1: Putting Swedenborg's doctrines to the test in the crucible of his own experience, young Blake cast one eye on Emmanuel's then blush-worthy book, Conjugal Love, while the other eye limed the well-orbed symmetry of young lady co-counter-culturalist Catherine Boucher. Blake quickly concluded that God had marvelous plans for relinking the young couple's unfolding spiritual visions with their budding carnality, creating a culture-smashing, cross-pollinization of matter-spirit correspondences. William and Catherine impetuously tied the knot and spent four days of a mind-melding, orgone infused honeymoon at the General Conference of 1789, where they heard passages from Swedenborg chanted aloud and then joined in when the Theosophical Society voted on 42 theological propositions, all taken from Swedenborg's works. Among the Blake's favorite propositions were,
0: the 11 affirming free will,
1: the seven condemning predestination,
0: and the most
2: talked about proposition of the evening, the one declaring that all have a capacity to be regenerated because all are redeemed, each according to their state.
4: Meanwhile, a scant half-century later, in the unsilvered mirror of time, we gradually begin to recognize the Pinocchian ambiguity of another young poet's profile. Who was this Chaz Baudelaire, who so improbably understood the unanswerable, for whom Swedenborg's law of correspondences was the amped-up, multisensory, thesoric cross-index that boundary-smashing Chaz needed to make the dark flowers of his ironic spirit blossom. And the name of this compendium of sublunar nasturtiums, antimaterial foxgloves and demonic dahlias, was to be Fleur de Mal*, a slim volume that contained the remarkable document entitled Correspondences that articulated the seemingly chaotic rush of postmodern urban angst before a canvas of serene, Swedenborgian archetypes.
5: One achieves creation by the logic of contraries. To blasphemy I shall oppose heavenly yearnings.
0: To obscenity, platonic flowers.
1: In Baudelaire's world, Rays of light are often ecstatically mated with vast circles of darkness. To those immersed exclusively in the love of material things, the light of Swedenborg's heaven appears to be a chasm of dismal darkness.
3: Bollaire compares his mistress's gaze to a flash of lightning, an explosion in the dark, a black sun that pours out light and bliss.
0: Totally against the currently high-profile post-Greco tendencies toward regimentation via thought-control collectivism and rejecting machine world paradigms being constructed by ambitious industrialists and pragmato-utopian philosophers alike, the entire Swedenborg saturated romantic movement envisioned itself as the much-needed re-erato-angelicizing counteragent to all that would robotize and dehumanize. Yeats... Emerson, Malame, and even a delirious Otto Lambo were willy nilly resacralizing interior and exterior space, repopulating the void with a host of mind boggling, right brain activating, and body ecstasizing inner images inspired by one Swedish mystic's stargate glimpse of possible worlds and alternative sentient networks.
2: is itself a facet of larger Swedenborgian aggregations of the spirit, and through these aggregations, people are irresistibly attracted toward the ultimate society, the Congress of Infinity. Emmanuel insists that we cannot apprehend the clover pleasures of the Godhead unless we understand the ongoing correspondence between the tangible mammo mambo inside our Hipped up bloodstreams, and hopped up neurons, and the nebular star-swinging of the homegrown spirit attitudes that loop through and quicken each soul on every celestial
0: exit ramp. Art Microchip's Circle of Love was written and produced by Jay Mandeville and Dwight Frizzell. Special guests were Matt Wilson, Bill Dye, Patrick Clancy, Beth Enloe, Yoshiko Sato, Morris Martin, Wendy Geller, Rhonda Francis, and Rodney Franks. With musical accompaniment by Michael Henry, Cliff Baldwin, and Ed Herman.